All right, so when I, was a, when I was a kid, I was a kid of the 1980s. Put up your hands if you're an 80s kid. 80s and proud, yes. No way, you guys. You guys, probably born like 10 years ago. I was a kid of the 80s, and there was a couple of TV shows that I was really into. Wasn't there, Mum and Dad? MacGyver? Yeah. The, the pacifist. The pacifist action hero with a mullet and a Swiss army knife and duct tape. And he could do amazing things. He was awesome. Yeah, interesting. A pacifist with plastic explosives, yeah. But then the other one was Beyond 2000. Who remembers Beyond 2000? Yeah. And Beyond 2000 was a show that was all about inventions and predictions for the future. Um, And so check this out. Check this out if I can. Hang on, I've got to do some some technological... Oh, actually, let's rewind a bit because I think this guy's got something funny to say to us. Oh, we'll see. Oops. Let's see what he's going to say. The tremendous forces, remote though they may be, some 150 million kilometres away on the sun, that affect all of our lives, whether it's in the changing of the seasons that we experience or in the rains and droughts that in many parts of the world dictate whether we live or die. If you've ever wondered what to buy the person who has everything, you couldn't do much better than this. It's the ultimate executive toy. It's called computer phone. The catch is it costs around $4,000. It looks much like any other computer. The difference is that computer phone is designed to work in the same flexible way that an executive does. Using computer phone, you can start a task, say, writing a memo, answer the phone, look up data, and then immediately carry on where you left off, and the computer will keep pace with you. Most of the software is pretty straightforward. A word processor, a spreadsheet, a database, for instance, but the computer also has a calculator for totting up lines of figures and a graphics program, and you can see here the types of graphics that can actually be represented. But the really fun part of the computer phone, though, is its voice synthesizer. If you're away from the office, the computer phone will answer calls, and instead of replaying a tape-recorded message, like a normal answer phone, the machine will voice a message that you've typed in. But before we hear that, a quick word about next week's show. Chris Arnold Guinness gets behind the wheel of a car that can navigate itself. And have you ever wondered what our Neolithic forebears ate? Well, a German scientist now knows the answer, and it's something like fish and chips. And deep inside Cheyenne Mountain at NORAD, Jeff Watson looks at our 5,000 items of space junk. That's Beyond 2000 next week. So from us, goodbye. And computer phone can speak for itself. We will be back next week. Goodbye. Computer phone. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so funny. Um, thinking, uh, thinking about the future can be exciting. So I really loved watching Beyond 2000. Like the future was exciting, or it can be frightening depending on how you're wired, or depending on if you've had coffee.
Speaking of which, I'm going to have some now. It is. Um, like the future is going to all be, is it going to be utopia or is it going to be dystopia? And you can ponder this with the bath mat that you can pick up from Threadless. So I figure like when you're getting into the shower, you stand on the dystopia side of the bath mat. And when you're getting out of the shower, you stand on the utopia side. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? The future being the very next moment in time. Like, well, we're 2020 now, so we're obviously in the future. Um, it could be tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade, next millennium. And anxiety really is the fear, is a fear, an intense fear of uh, future events. That, that sensation that bad, difficult, painful, horrible uh, things are going to happen. Or we might, we might expect that good things are going to happen. Good things are going to take place. And this is what I really liked about Beyond 2000 because it painted this picture of an awesome future with computer phones. And computer phone is so much cooler than Siri. I'd far rather Siri spoke with that kind of uh, voice, eh? And I wonder if the 1980s might have been a little bit more optimistic about the future than uh, the 2020s. Uh, and, I, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but it feels like the, the world that we live in, like our culture and the things that our influences that feed into us, there's this feeling that the future is not going to be that good and actually it's going to be bad. Um, Instead of hopefulness, there's hopelessness and anxiety. Instead of joyfulness, there's uh, depression. And, and these feelings, they can be contagious. They just, they just spread. They spread. And when Jesus arrived on the scene 2,000 years ago, uh, things also looked pretty hopeless for, for, the, for his people, the Jews. They were God's people. He'd, uh, God had personally set them free from slavery in Egypt. He'd personally delivered them uh, to the promised land in Canaan. He personally nurtured them into a thriving society. The universe, the universe creating God had done all of this. The ancient of days had done this. But then over the centuries, things weren't really bad for the, for the Jews. Their unified nation um, was divided into, the, into Judah and Israel. Um, they'd been conquered by successive invading kingdoms. So when Jesus was born, the Jewish people, uh, they were under um, the oppressive and, um, and uh, pretty horrible Roman rule. Some of them might have uh, remembered that there had been prophecies of a, of a Messiah that was to come, a Messiah being the special person chosen by God who was going to deliver them, who was going to set them free, and was, was, was going to restore the nation of Israel. But at that moment, things really didn't look good. Things looked bad. There had been uprisings and revolutions, people who tried to take things into their own hands. Uh, but those uh, had all failed, and the people that had, had been involved, a lot of them had been executed, tortured and executed by the Romans. So Jesus is born into this world, a hopeless world, right? Hopeless. Things weren't good. But instead of, instead of being hopeless, Jesus is full of hope. Because Jesus anticipated a different future. He, he anticipated something beyond what anyone else could possibly see. He saw, an, he saw an alternative future for people. And this alternative future would be kind of like the, uh, the deliverance of the Jews from slavery in Egypt. Be kind of like that. Because it would involve salvation of people, but it would be far greater. Because it would be salvation of people from a trajectory leading to death to a trajectory leading to God and intimate union, communion with God and, and eternal life. He anticipated 
this future reality where people who were suffering from diseases were healed, where people who had died would come back to life, where people with bad backs would be healed. Amazing. Where people who were oppressed by evil spiritual forces, people that were oppressed by demons, uh, would be set free and able to live in complete freedom. He saw things in, in just a, a completely different way. His worldview was completely different. And as a result of the way, of the way that he saw things, he, he walked in a different way. He, he acted in a different way. For example, instead of trying to avoid somebody with an incurable infectious disease, I'd avoid them, he would go towards them and he'd touch them. So people with leprosy, he'd touch them and he'd heal them. Another example, if a demon-possessed maniac was running at you in a graveyard, what are you going to do? You're going to run, right? (laughs) You're going to get away. And not him. He stands his ground and he sets these men free from demons. He delivers them from the demons. And you can read about these stories in, in Matthew chapter 8. You read about these, these hopeless situations that Jesus saw in, in a completely different way. Instead of seeing them being hopeless, he saw them filled with hope. He saw an alternative future and he acted, and he acted accordingly. He acted in line with that. In the, in the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John This alternative future that Jesus saw and walked in and acted out is called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And the the reason why the Gospels are called called the Gospels, are called good news, is because of two things. It's because of Jesus and the kingdom of God. It's because of the king and the kingdom. And so I've got this video here from the Bible Project, which, um, about the Gospel, And some of you have seen it before, and I've seen it before, but I think it's going to be really cool to be refreshed. If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So, let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, biser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger, Biser, that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings, whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so, when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. 
Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity, even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion, that all authority in heaven and on earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants, because the last are first, and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome, because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it, but something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. Best news. The best news. And, and uh, I guess we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God, and some of you uh, might be thinking, James, why are you talking about the kingdom of God again? We know all about it. <laughs> I'm wondering that myself. But here's the thing. Like, how do you feel when you really consider it? How do you feel when you think about the future? How do you feel about it? Are you, do you feel hopeful or do you feel hopeless? Do you feel like there's God-initiated goodness that is coming up ahead that, that we can be hopeful and excited about? Or do you feel like it's all going south, it's all going bad? Uh, and maybe at the end of it there will be God, but until then it's going to be trials and tribulations. It's all going to be stink. I have a feeling that sharing in the, um, having a vision of Jesus and sharing his vision, like seeing his alternative future, his kingdom of God, will change the way we feel about the future and now, and it will change the way we act. Being a follower of Jesus means allowing him to change how we see and to become hopeful. Actually, I think we become carriers of hope, and hope is contagious. So hope, you know, fear is contagious. I talked about this last time, but hope is contagious. Hope is contagious. It's more powerful than fear. It can spread from person to person. I thought Matt's message last week was brilliant. Hey, I thought it was so cool. So if you didn't check, if you didn't hear it, then check out the podcast um, online, and I'm sure you won't regret it. 
He talked about a lot of things, but there were things that I remember were about the, the joy of the, the joy of the Lord. The Lord, our God, is a God full of joy. He's not a grumpy old God. He's a joyful God. And this joyful God invites us to be on an adventure with him. He is our Father. He is a good Father who welcomes us into his arms and he embraces us with love and grace and a smile on his face. If God is like that, then what is his kingdom like? What is the culture of the kingdom of God? Hebrews 12 is a passage that we've been sitting on for a few weeks now. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him enjoyed, endured the cross endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's run looking to Jesus. Our, as followers of Jesus, our vision needs to be set on Jesus. Let's run looking to Jesus. That's right. So our vision has to be set on Jesus. Uh, it makes total sense. If we're following Jesus, we've got to be looking, looking at the one we're following. We've got to see where he's going. Living every day, every moment looking to Jesus. And right in the middle are these stunning words. Jesus, who for, this, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, for the sake of the, of the joy set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew what was coming up. He knew that um, he was going to be going to the, to the cross. He knew that there was gonna, it was going to be painful. It was going to be humiliating. He knew it all, and yet he still walked that path, and he didn't run away from it. He went towards it because of the hope of an alternative future, something else that only he could see, the joy that was set before him. This hope was so powerful that it overcame the, um, the, the, uh, the fear of the cross. Our anxieties can often be about things that, that might happen, but that probably won't. But Jesus knew what was going to happen, and if he was anxious about it, then he didn't let that stop him. And because of this hope was so great... So the culture of the, of the kingdom of God, the feeling of the kingdom of God is one of hope. It's one of joy because the king is full of hope and joy. So as you know, I talk about it an awful lot, but I ride my bike to work. And, uh, and so I keep on having these stories. So another week, another bike story. Last week, I was riding my bike to work. Uh, from, uh, I ride from um, Korokoro up near Patoni in, into town. And I was riding from, you know, along State Highway 2. And there was loads and loads of broken glass along the cycle lane, all the way from Patoni to, no, to Noronga. And the, like the um, cynical part of me thought that maybe someone had put it there on purpose. Anyway, if you're a cyclist and there's broken glass, then you kind of get a bit nervous. And in fact, I saw about six cyclists fixing their flatties on the way to work, which is quite a few more than normal. Riding along, so I'm riding along and my eyes are fixed on the road, like I'm just watching out for those shimmers of light and trying to dodge them as much as I could, trying to avoid them. The next day, uh, I managed to tuck in behind some other, some other cyclists, and I was drafting behind them, and um, as you know, like drafting uh, is so awesome, as you know, as you might know, drafting is so awesome, because the people in front of you are, um, you know, they are charging through the wind, and, and you, don't have to, um, you don't have as much wind resistance. I've heard that you can save like 27%. Um, but the closer, here's the thing with um, drafting, is the, clo the closer you are to the cyclists in front, the better. You've really got to be up in their butt. 
Excuse my French. That's not French, is it? It's English. Excuse my English. You've got to be up close right behind them. The closer they are, the better. But this also means that you've got to be keeping your eye on them rather than the road. Because if they, if they suddenly stop, well, they do something, then you don't have any time actually to respond. You've got to be responding quite quickly. So you've got to pay attention to what the cyclist in front of you is doing. And this means you can't be looking down at the road as much. It means that I knew there was glass, but I couldn't be looking at the glass. I had to just trust that the person in front knew where they were going and that they were finding the best way ahead. And this really it spoke to me. Like, this is a picture of following Jesus, eh? If we, if we can, like, draft him behind him, like getting, getting him behind him, focusing on him, and with him filling our attention so much, trusting him, trusting that his way ahead is, is the best way, is the good way, trusting that he sees the best path ahead, focused on him instead of the glass on the road, which is a metaphor for the things that we fear, the things that we're afraid of. I wonder, I wonder if, we, if we do that, then those things, they, they're still there. The glass is still there, but they become less significant in the same way as, as the cross. Jesus knew he was going to the cross, but it was like somehow that, that became less significant, less important than the joy that lay before him. He knew that he had to go through it, but it was the hope that was set before him, the hope of the joy set before him. Does that make sense? His focus securely on God, his Father. The brutal torture of the cross, he had to endure it, but it became less significant. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, trusting him and sharing his hope for an alternative future. This church, Capital Vineyard Church, the one true church. (laughs) I don't mean that. (laughs) There's other good ones too. Um, This church, it's a church that God planted. We talk, about, we talk about it being uh, the church that mum and, mum and dad planted, but really they didn't. Um, they were partnering with God. They were being obedient to what God had called them to do, welcoming the kingdom of God into the city of Wellington, into the city. It's a church that God planted and God is building. We've been placed here for a reason. We've been placed here for a reason, and it's for his purposes, for the king's purposes. We're here to welcome and invite the king and his kingdom We're here to invite his alternative reality for ourselves, for our families, our communities, our workplaces, our city. And thanks for reading that psalm at the beginning, Anna, because that's one that is huge for me at the moment. Who is this king of glory, the Lord strong in battle, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up you heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory, the Lord of hosts? Here's the glory. Shut up. I mean, Selah. Because the Lord's entered. All right? The week before Jesus went to the cross and was executed by the Romans, he entered the city of Jerusalem. It's a really significant moment. He entered the city, the, the capital city, the Jewish capital city, the center of commerce, government, and the center of religion, the city that the temple was in. And when he arrived, this massive crowd of Jews all came out to meet him, welcoming him into the city, and they shouted this, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means Savior. They're like welcoming the one that is going to save them. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized that he was coming with authority 
the, the responsibility and a role from God himself. Name doesn't just mean name, right? Name means, name means a whole lot more. It means, like if you say stop in the name of the law, it doesn't mean you're saying stop because of uh, L-A-W. It means stop because I've got the authority of the law. I've got this authority of the, of the police force. So, so Savior, Hosanna, Savior, Son of David. I didn't mention that. Son of David, they recognized that he had, he had royal lineage. David was King David, the, the great king from hundreds of years earlier, and Jesus was descended from him. Great, 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 great grandson, you know. Son of a king. Savior, you're the son of a king, and you come in the name of the Lord. Like this, to me, sounds like the gospel message. They're going, you're the savior, you're the king, and you have the authority of God. It's a gospel message. They're shouting out for all to hear that the king has come. Welcome into our city. Welcome to Jerusalem. Welcome to Wellington. And in doing so, they're welcoming his rule and reign. They're going, here's our savior. He's the son of a king. He's got the authority from God. Welcome, and we're welcoming. We're welcoming in your uh, your rule and your reign. Your ways of doing things. We're welcoming your alternative future into our hopeless situation. With their eyes on Jesus, they are declaring the gospel message for all to hear. They're looking at Jesus. They're shouting the gospel message. Everybody hears it. You read the story, and. Um, in Matthew 21, and it talks about everybody else asking what's, what's going on, what's all this turmoil. They could hear what was going on. We, Capital Vineyard, are called to be a church that welcomes the king into the city, welcomes the king into capital city Wellington, welcomes his kingdom, his rule and his reign, and declares his gospel message, Jesus is the king. Are you feeling my excitement? Yes. Back in 1995, 1995, um, Mum and Dad felt called by God to partner with what he was doing in the city and to plant what was then called Capital Vineyard Christian Fellowship. The first public gathering was on February 1996, so 24 years ago. It means that in a year's time we're going to be 25. We are a vineyard church. Vineyard? We're part of the vineyard movement of churches all around the world. But it's a funny name, isn't it? Why a vineyard? Don't ask the CV youth. Hey, they come up with inappropriate things to do with uh, vineyards. Don't go there, James. Don't. Vineyards. Vineyards are a reoccurring metaphor in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he talked about vineyards. And he said, he said that the nation of Israel was like the Lord's vineyard. The nation of Israel was the Lord's vineyard. But instead of producing good grapes... They produced wild fruit. And then in the New Testament, there's this passage in the book of John, which we've talked about all year. And it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide on you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. 
Can I get my helpers? One day, Tessa and I discovered a grapevine in our home in Korokoro. It's pretty shabby. Here's some pictures of our grapevine. Here's, the, here's where it starts, up near the fence by the neighbours. Here's where some of the branches go. You might not be able to see it very well, but we've got rocks here, a bit of leftover building material, plywood, and a bunch of grapes down here. A bunch of grapes over here. This shabby old, run-down old grapevine. We haven't tended it. We haven't pruned it. And it's gone wild. Branches. I don't know how they... This, these, these big pictures here on the right-hand side are actually a fair distance from where the, where the vine starts from. I went to go hunting for where it started from, and I found it hidden behind these agapanthers. It's, a, it's quite incredible, this vine, it still bears fruit, I think. Well, it hasn't given up. It still bears fruit, but, um, but the fruit's not that great-looking, to be honest. I didn't, bring in a, I didn't bring in a photo of them, but they've got little, they're just little, and they've got marks all over them. I'm sure that it would have produced more grapes and better quality grapes if we tended it, if we'd pruned back the branches um, so that it was growing in the right place, or if we set up a trellis or a scaffold you know, along the fence so that it had support in order to grow and to flourish. If we tended it by keeping it free from the agapanthers which are surrounding it, all these weeds and stuff that are, that are surrounding it and smothering it. If we'd done these things over the last, we've been up there four years, eh, Tessa? Is that right? There's heaps of grapes, by the way. You can just like grab a whole bunch if you want, if you need a bit of help. Um, then come tell me. Um, if, we, if we'd done these things, if we tended to it over the years, over the last few years, then I'm sure that by now the grapevine would be flourishing and we'd be able to enjoy, enjoy its fruit all the time. And instead of, you're, uh, hopefully you're enjoying... The grapes that I've bought this morning, they're um, all the way from Peck and Save Petoni. <laughs> Next year, you might be enjoying grapes from our place in Korokoro. Yay. Anyway, this vine, this, this hidden away vine in our garden, it has, it's still producing fruit, but it's got untapped poten- potential. Hidden away, it's got untapped potential, and all we need to do, all Tessa and I and um, Elena will probably want to help too, but I don't know if I wanted to, all we need to do is just put in some time and effort and tend it and just see what happens. And Jesus says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. That means that we are the branches. (laughs) We are the branches. Our Our purpose is to bear good fruit and to bear lots of fruit. We bear good fruit by abiding in the vine, by being connected to the vine, like a branch does. Remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, remaining connected to him, focused on him, trusting in his path for us, trusting in his direction for us, beginning to see more and more the way that he sees, sharing his vision of an alternative future, this phrase that I like at the moment, his kingdom of God, his kingdom in our city. Instead of seeing hopeless situations, seeing the potential for the breakthrough of the Lord of the universe in any situation. And welcoming the king into every situation. And this is this picture, eh, that I've been, I keep having. This is this picture that I keep having. This, um, this figure eight on its side or this infinity symbol representing this constant dynamic of abiding in Jesus and then, and then taking 
taking that, whatever it is, that life, that goodness, into every situation that we're in. At work, on the train, the presence of Jesus into every situation. Jesus says, I, says, abide in me and I in you. That means that wherever we are, Jesus is, the king is. The craziest thing. How are those grapes going? Yeah, they're all gone, are they? $22 worth. <laughs> no, I didn't come out of my pocket. I used, C- I used the CV credit card. Thank you, guys. <laughs> if you want to give to the church, <laughs> we're going to spend it on grapes. Um, anyway, Capital Vineyard Church, it's a bit like this grapevine in our garden. It has, it bears fruit. But there's, there's so much more. There's so much more untapped potential to bear more fruit, overflowing the walls like the grapevine growing over the fence. Like You could see that our grapevine could probably do that. We could bless our neighbours. I don't know if I will let that happen. but Growing over the fence to the neighbours. So what might that look like? What might an alternative future look like? The kingdom of God in our city, in, our, in the places we are. What might that look like? People coming to faith, life-saving faith in Jesus. Like, you look around, and a lot of you here, you've got amazing stories of the transformation that Jesus has made in your lives. Incredible transformation. Freedom from, um, freedom from things, freedom from, a, from addiction, freedom from brokenness, and the things that God is doing in your life. That, for others... That transformation, that life-saving faith for other people. It looks like, it looks like entire families transformed. I've heard testimonies, even, even this weekend, of one person in a family coming to faith in Jesus and then others coming to faith, the whole family coming to faith in Jesus and families transformed, communities transformed. It looks like freedom from addiction. It looks like, it looks like justice, even at the highest levels of government. Yeah. It looks like mercy on the streets of our city. It looks like the healing of diseases. How are your guys' backs? How about yours, Robert? Still good. It looks like that. It looks like life, hope, peace, joy, freedom for people as they encounter the goodness of God. Like I've kind of done some really broad picture um, things of what that might look like, but what might it really look like? What might it look like in people that we know what might it feel like this is this is i call it an alternative future because it's not it's not the obvious thing it's not what we're going to normally see because it's impossible it's impossible without the king of the kingdom it's impossible without jesus and as we abide in him as we sort of remain connected with him our eyes fixed on him then these things become apparent to us then these things become possible through him like we catch glimpses of, of this alternative future, glimpses of the future through him. And then it becomes natural, supernaturally natural, because this involves, becoming, involves us becoming truly alive in the plans and purposes that God has, has for us and, and the dreams that he's placed within our hearts, using the gifts and the resources that he's already placed in our hands. Sometimes we wait and we wait for God to put the things in our hands where we need, and actually he's probably already put it there. Using the gifts and resources placed in his hands, alive with true purpose in the way that the, the bunch 
in the same way as a branch of the grapevine naturally bears fruit as long as it remains connected to the vine. As long as it's abiding in the vine. And so this week, today, we're entering into this week of prayer. And we've got these sessions each evening to pray. And the, the main theme that I, I, I think of is it's about abiding in God. It's about abiding in Jesus. And welcoming him, welcoming him into our city. Welcoming him into our communities, nation, and world. And I really just want to encourage you to come along and be part of it. Or if you're not able to, you might have like, you might have things on every night this week, and I'm sorry about that. But if you're not able to come, then then remember to abide in Jesus just wherever you are, and invite the King wherever you are. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. This is a great place to start. He says, uh, he says "Pray this way: Our Father, our Father in heaven, our Father in whom we abide." Our Father, the one who's rescued us. Our Father, the one who takes us 